Hello, my name is Bill Coglin, and welcome to First Person Civil War Podcast, which retells the stories of the soldiers and officers on the ground in the battles of the Civil War. For episode 10, I have decided to make it a special episode and incorporate an idea I've had since starting this podcast. This episode is entitled, First Lieutenant Fitch and the 21st Wisconsin Face Private Watkins and the 1st Tennessee at the Battle of Perryville. As a recommendation to follow where on the battlefield these two regiments met, look at American Battlefield Trust's maps. They usually show detail down to each regiment, and in the case of the Battle of Perryville, also break it down by the time of day. Michael H. Fitch wrote, Echoes of the Civil War as I Hear Them in 1905, and Sam Watkins published his second edition of Company H, Maury Gray's 1st Tennessee Regiment, or A Sideshow of the Big Show, in 1900. Both books provide the sources for this episode. Michael H. Fitch enlisted in the Prescott Guards in Prescott, Wisconsin, on 10 May 1861, which was eventually incorporated into the 6th Wisconsin and was assigned to what would become the Iron Brigade. After holding the rank of Regimental Sergeant Major and First Lieutenant, Michael Fitch transferred to the 21st Wisconsin to serve as the Regimental Adjutant. The regiment formed in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and left on 11 September 1862, with 1,002 men bound for the Western Theater of War. Sam Watkins enlisted in the Maury Grays, named after Maury County, which became Company H of the 1st Tennessee. Private Watkins briefly saw service in Virginia before fighting at the Battle of Shiloh. In early September 1862, as part of a larger Confederate advance north that included Lee's invasion of Maryland, General Braxton Bragg and his Army of Mississippi marched from Chattanooga, Tennessee, into Kentucky. Private Watkins and the 1st Tennessee were in the 3rd Brigade commanded by Brigadier General Maney in Major General Cheatham's 1st Division of Leonidas Polk's right wing. The Union Army of the Ohio and other scattered forces, which included the 21st Wisconsin, began converging on Kentucky. As Bragg advanced toward Lexington, Kentucky, several regiments, including the 21st Wisconsin, occupied trenches in Covington, Kentucky, which was on the southern bank of the Ohio River, to protect Cincinnati. Having only left their home state two days prior, First Lieutenant Fitch remarked at how the regiment still lacked essentials for a campaign. All efforts failed in the most complete and profound disorder and confusion on that memorable scare to find any tents to draw, and therefore, with rails and boughs of evergreens and other trees, 
the men made themselves as comfortable as raw troops could. The only water to drink was that of the licking river, from which the green scum had to be skimmed, only to find muddy water underneath. As Union and Confederate forces continued to maneuver toward each other, the threat to Cincinnati lifted, and the 21st Wisconsin continued south. Upon arrival at Louisville, the 21st Wisconsin was incorporated into Colonel John C. Starkweather's 28th Brigade, in Brigadier General Lovell Rousseau's 3rd Division, in Major General McCook's 1st Corps, of the Army of the Ohio, commanded by Major General Don Carlos Buell. On 1 October 1862, First Lieutenant Fitch and the 21st Wisconsin departed Louisville. The Army of the Ohio and the Army of Mississippi met outside of the town of Perryville, Kentucky, on 8 October 1862. Both the 21st Wisconsin and the 1st Tennessee arrived on what would become the northern part of the battlefield. Private Watkins and the 1st Tennessee went into the battle first. At about 12 o'clock, while we were marching through a cornfield, in which the corn had been shocked, they opened their war dogs upon us. The beginning of the end had come. The battle now opened in earnest, and from one end of the line to the other seemed to be a solid sheet of blazing smoke and fire. First Lieutenant Fitch and the 21st Wisconsin, still marching toward the fight, can now hear the battle unfolding. Towards noon, the artillery firing ahead became more frequent and nearer. The halts in the line of march came oftener and lasted longer, indicating trouble in front. A squad of strange cavalry was reported off to our left, and two companies, B and C, were sent in that direction to reconnoiter and, if possible, attack them. First Lieutenant Fitch rode ahead of his regiment to receive orders from Colonel Starkweather on where to form. He ordered the 21st Wisconsin forward, and just in rear of the 33rd Brigade, and to act as its reserve. While marching forward, Brigadier General Rousseau, the division commander, rode up to 1st Lieutenant Fitch and provided exact orders. Place that regiment in that cornfield, facing that way, indicating this by a hand position at right angles to the one held, and from 150 to 200 paces in front. These orders were not relayed to the brigade commander, Colonel Starkweather. Though the 21st Wisconsin marched in rear of the developing fight, they were close enough for stray artillery shells and rifle fire to wound several men as they marched. This position had woods immediately to the south, and both features partially blocked the 21st Wisconsin's view of the battle to their front, which at that moment the Union line was collapsing under the weight of a Confederate advance, and included Private Watkins and the 1st Tennessee. Once in position, 
the 21st Wisconsin laid down in the cornfield. Very soon, the broken and bleeding troops of Jackson's division overpowered and exhausted by heat and marching, many of them wounded and the rest demoralized, came pouring back upon the line of the 21st in crowds, and several hundred of them halted just in front of the 21st, but without any formation. First Lieutenant Fitch conferred with Brigadier General William Terrell, a brigade commander from that division, as he retired. He said as he passed that the rebels were advancing in terrible force, and that the only way in which the 21st could avoid being crushed was to wait until they came near enough and then charge bayonets upon them. First Lieutenant Fitch carried this information to his regimental commander. The 21st Wisconsin was then caught in a crossfire. In the meantime, the firing had become terrific, and it seemed at that time strange that all the firing from the Federal troops came from the rear of the 21st. And he continues, In less time than it takes to write this, a frightful rush of the disorganized troops who had gathered in the front of the 21st was made to the rear through the ranks of the regiment, followed so closely by the rebel lines that it was impossible for the excessively timid ones to resist going back with the rush. And before the remainder could again close up the line thus broken, the enemy had lapped both flanks and were in addition to firing in front, enfilading our lines. The Confederates that were pressuring the 21st Wisconsin was Brigadier General Maney's brigade, which consisted of the 41st Georgia and the 1st, 6th, 9th, and 27th Tennessee regiments. Colonel George C. Porter of the 6th Tennessee remarked of their advance upon the 21st Wisconsin. The brigade still continued to press forward across the woods into an adjoining field of corn, when part of Stewart's command, which was a separate brigade, which included the 4th Tennessee, came up. We, together with a portion of the 4th Tennessee, were driven from the summit of this hill in the cornfield, but were again rallied in a ravine near a stone fence and ordered back. The order was again obeyed, and the summit was again reached. But owing to strong and destructive crossfire, it was deemed useless to endeavor to hold it. Major John Knight, who took command of the 41st Georgia after their colonel was wounded, said as they engaged the 1st Union line and eventually came upon the flank of the 21st Wisconsin. At this critical moment, General Maney passed down our line, encouraging the men by his personal presence and urging them forward. Just at that place, our regiment sustained one-half, if not two-thirds, of their entire loss in the battle. Finally, the suspense was relieved by the enemy's lines giving way, meaning Union General Terrell's brigade, which was closely followed up by our troops who seemed to vie with each other in seeing who could do the most to drive the enemy 
from the field. Part of the 21st Wisconsin had already retreated, but Colonel Sweet, the regimental commander, remained with his regiment and continued to engage the oncoming Georgians and Tennesseans. The 1st Tennessee joined the rest of their brigade advancing upon the 21st Wisconsin, and Private Watkins described the advance. From this moment, the battle was a mortal struggle. Two lines of battle confronted us. We killed almost everyone in the first line, and we were soon charging over the second, which was the 21st Wisconsin. With more Confederate regiments joining in the advance, Colonel Sweet ordered the 21st Wisconsin to retreat. First Lieutenant Fitch states that the roar of battle meant not the entire regiment heard the order to retreat at the same time. The exceptions are rare in battle that regiments fall back, or a military phrase, retreat, in unbroken lines under heavy fire. The only comparative merit that one regiment can claim over another in such circumstances is in the power to rally at a convenient point and be ready to again meet the enemy. The 21st was compelled here to retreat over a high fence, through a ravine, and then up the face of a bare hill, which the fire of the enemy could sweep with terrific effect. In passing over the obstacles, it became broken but rallied again finally, under the fire of the enemy, in rear of the main Union line, or the third line, where it remained the rest of the day. As the 21st Wisconsin retreated, Sam Watkins and the 1st Tennessee advanced upon a Union battery and the rest of the Union 28th Brigade, which was the third line, and carried it, which included the 1st Wisconsin. When right in our immediate front was their third line, and main line of battle, from which four Napoleon guns poured their deadly fire. We did not recoil, but our line was fairly hurled back by the leaden hail that was poured into our very faces. We were right up among the very wheels of their Napoleon guns. It was death to retreat now to either side. Where the 21st Wisconsin rallied, it became the anchor for the rest of their brigade to reform. The 1st Wisconsin formed on their left. During the fight, Companies B and C of the 21st Wisconsin, having not encountered Confederate cavalry, marched toward the fight, with the intent to reunite with the rest of their regiment. By the time these two companies arrived in the vicinity of the fight, the rest of the 21st Wisconsin was already in the cornfield, and the brigade commander, Colonel Starkweather, having not placed the 21st Wisconsin and not knowing their exact position, ordered the two wayward companies to fight alongside the 1st Wisconsin until it had the opportunity to reunite with their own regiment. Once both Wisconsin regiments were in line together, companies B and C returned to their own regiment. Confederate forces did advance to this new line of battle, where both sides kept up a continual fire until dark. This included Private Sam Watkins 
and the 1st Tennessee, which had captured the battery of artillery. Again, they directly advanced against the 21st Wisconsin. Our men were dead and dying right in the very midst of this grand havoc of battle. It was a life-to-life and death-to-death grapple. The sun poised above us, a great red ball sinking slowly in the west. Yet the scene of battle and carnage continued. I cannot describe it. After the Union line stabilized here, most of the fighting at Perryville turned to the south. Private Watkins, who was in every battle, skirmish, and march that was made by the 1st Tennessee, remarked about the Battle of Perryville. I do not remember of a harder contest and more evenly fought battle than that of Perryville. If it had been two men wrestling, it would have been called a dog fight. Both sides claimed the victory. Both whipped. First Lieutenant Fitch, writing his book in 1905, was still critical of the decisions made by General Rousseau in placing the 21st Wisconsin by itself in the cornfield. The position it was placed in by the commander of the division and left in by the indifference of the brigade commander was the refinement of cruelty. It was between the fire of the enemy and that of our own troops in its immediate rear. The other regiments of the brigade had been there a year in the service and were well drilled and under fine discipline. They were given good positions in rear of the only new regiment in the brigade. Our correct position was in line with the other regiments on the hill behind. The division commander afterwards denied ordering the regiment to this position. But I know what he did. He gave the order to me. The Battle of Perryville was the 21st Wisconsin's first fight, compared to the veteran 1st Tennessee. Both regiments would go on to fight at Stones River, Chickamauga, and the Atlanta Campaign. Where the 21st Wisconsin marched with Sherman to the sea, the 1st Tennessee remained in the west to march on Nashville. Both regiments fought their last battle at Bentonville, North Carolina. Michael H. Fitch became the commander of the 21st Wisconsin on 4 July 1864 and ended the war as a brevet colonel. He returned to Wisconsin for a time until moving out to Colorado, where he pursued several business ventures like raising cattle, banking, and manufacturing. Michael H. Fitch wrote Echoes of the Civil War as I Hear Them in 1905, and it was sometime late in the 19th century did he begin to contemplate his Civil War service. A fellow Civil War veteran placed on his desk a complete detailed memorandum of all the major events that Michael H. Fitch participated while in the 6th and 21st Wisconsin regiments. It was at that time that he began to process the war years, and he expands on it at the end of his book. It required years of rest to tired body and mind to recover sufficiently 
to the heroic struggle, to study with any degree of interest the immense import of its unexpected beginning, the uncertain fluctuations of its career, and the far-reaching effects of its triumphant ending. These things did not then dawn on the minds of the average soldier. He thought only of how he could best take up the pursuits of peaceful industry. He wanted to become as good a citizen of a reunited country as he had been a soldier of a disunited one. Sam Watkins returned to Maury County and raised a family. In the early 1880s, he published his story in the Columbia Herald, which was a newspaper in Maury County, and was eventually published as a book in 1882, entitled Company H, Maury Gray's, 1st Tennessee Regiment, or A Sideshow of the Big Show. Sam Watkins's book, with H spelled A-Y-T-C-H, is considered by many as one of the best first-hand accounts of the Civil War. Thank you for listening to the 10th episode. When I started this podcast, I just knew there were men on both sides of a battle whose regiments not only directly engaged each other, but also wrote their own books after the war. Michael Fitch and Sam Watkins faced each other on that October day at Perryville, Kentucky. Now their first-person accounts are side-by-side as one story. Links to Michael H. Fitch's and Sam Watkins' books are now available on the podcast website, firstpersoncivilwarpodcast.com. On Facebook, Instagram, X, and LinkedIn this week, is a drawing of the 21st Wisconsin in the cornfield, repelling the first line of Confederates advancing upon them, and a picture of Private Sam Watkins. Links to all social media sites are at the top of each webpage of the podcast website. And just as a note, on 23 February, I published the update for this episode, so keep a lookout on these social media sites for any new updates. If you like the podcast so far, please leave a review on the podcasting app you use and tell your friends about the podcast. There will be special episodes in the future. I was also made aware that episode 5, which is Colonel Winchester Hall and the 26th Louisiana at the Battle of Chickasaw Bayou, was unavailable on Audible. The issue is now fixed, and the episode is available on that platform. Since this week's episode was upgraded to a special episode, I will return to the regular format of one account per week. Which means Lieutenant Frederick Tomlinson Pete of the United States Marine Corps provides next week's first-person account at the Siege of Fort Wagner. My name is Bill Coglin, and thank you for listening to First Person Civil War Podcast.